Ladies and gentlemen, citizens of the universe, NFL draftniks, fantasy footballers, geeks, geezers, skeezers, weirdos, we come here to unite. This is Roster Watch. This is Quentin Copos, and this is Roster Watch. Hey, this is Kirk Cousins, live at the Senior Bowl with Roster Watch. This is Melvin Ingram, and we're at the Senior Bowl listening to Roster Watch. This is Jack Del Rio, and this is Roster Watch on ESPN Radio, Austin. Hey, this is Chris Polky, listening to Roster Watch on ESPN Radio, Austin. Hey, this is Brandon Whedon, and you're watching Roster Watch. I am here with the very talented Mr. Isaiah P., uh, Big East Offensive Player of the Year. I'm here with Vic Carucci, Senior Editor, Cleveland Browns. I am here with Boise State, running back Doug Martin. This is Rick Spielman, General Manager of the Minnesota Vikings, and you're listening to Roster Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Roster Watch. My name is Alex Dunlap. As always, I'm joined by my co-captain, Byron Lambert. And as is usually the case during NFL draft season, we have on board our favorite skipper, the guy who we consider the director of our personal scouting departments, the number one scout in all of our hearts, Mr. Mike Loiko, NEPatriotsDraft.com. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about the cornerbacks, the CBs, the DBs, the guys who are going to be sticking on the wide receivers in this league, like White on Rice, who you need to keep an eye on, who you need to not start your fantasy wide receivers against. I'm going to hand over this mic, as always, to Byron Lambert taking this wheel. I can almost already see the wind kind of blowing through the sails and through his hair. Good evening, friends and football fans. Uh, welcome to the show tonight. We are going to be talking cornerback uh, rankings as we head into this year's NFL draft. Um, the biggest headline that everybody's probably most aware of is that uh, stud cornerback Morris Claiborne from LSU has been reported to score in the sub Vince Young range <laughs> on the Wonderlick test, which we all know is just beyond pitiful. Um, he was a very well-spoken gentleman at the Combine, so I was personally uh, surprised by it. Uh, a couple other things I've been noticing has been going on before I turn it over to Mike to give us his uh, scouting rankings and let Alex give his evaluation is just uh, as far as corners are concerned, I'm a little bit surprised that uh, it seems like Dre Kirkpatrick, another stud from Alabama um, who had a terrific collegiate career, it seems to be relatively undervalued right now by the draft Knicks and the, and the media and you know we all know how valuable of a, a position cornerback is so that surprises me a bit and then uh, we see guys like Gilmore from South Carolina climbing uh, we see guys like Janoris Jenkins who I know Mike Luico personally raved to me about at the Senior Bowl I uh, feel like his his draft stock is is actually dropping a little bit and uh, surprised by that for sure and then you know another guy uh, that that I'm a little surprised I'm getting a little more attention is Brandon Boykins from, from Georgia. Uh, when I've watched him, he looks like a great athlete. So, um, Mike, Alex, I'll turn it over to you guys. I'd like to, Mike, I guess we'd like to get your cornerback rankings and just some of your, your thoughts on everything. Yeah, the cornerback position definitely, if not deep, deep, is the second deepest position in this year's draft. Um, starting right at the top, you know, the consensus guy, pretty much with whoever you talk to. 
is Morris Claiborne, the cornerback out of Louisiana State. You know, the, the Wonderlick score is not going to hurt him very much. He's the top corner, no matter who you talk to. But it's just another red flag to put, you know, in his scouting profile. The score of four on the Wonderlick, it, it's not going to affect how you play on the field or really what you do off the field. But for me, it kind of raised a red flag about how you can learn a system or how much can be thrown at you and how you can think on your feet. So it is a little bit of a red flag, but... Ultimately, it's not going to affect his draft stock. Well, Mike, you mentioned um, me. The season he had this year at LSU. I was going to say, Mike. The he had at LSU was just great. I mean, his ball skills and stepping in for Patrick Peterson the way he did really rose to himself right up to the top of the draft board. And the number two guy I have is a guy you've already mentioned, Magistrate Kirkpatrick. I mean, coming from an... SEC school on the Alabama defense. He was really the leader of that secondary. With guys like Mark Barron, Daquan Menzi, he really just stood out for me. He's a bigger corner. He's physical. He can play the run. You know, maybe he's not as fluid or can't break on the ball like a Claiborne or a Jenkins. But I have no doubt picking him somewhere in the top 15. And for me, really, he's been the number two cornerback all year. And I think it would be a mistake if Stephen Gilmore went ahead of him. And then number three for me, another guy that you've mentioned, I'll just run down my top five real quick and I'll throw it over to uh, Alex, is Janoris Jenkins. I, I absolutely love Jenkins. He has a ton of off-the-field concerns. Some people um, taking him off their draft board altogether. Seeing him at the Senior Bowl, he was by far, for me at least, the best player, regardless of position, down in Mobile. His game was just on a whole other level, and I think he's going to step in the NFL and make an impact from day one. You know, he's going to be an Asante Samuel-type zone corner, somebody that can give cushion and break on the ball, and if he stays out of trouble, then I think he's going to be a pro bowler. And, you know, the off-the-field concerns with him are, it's not like he's a Pac-Man Jones or this type of guy. He's gotten into trouble with marijuana, and, he, you know, he has a bunch of kids. But that doesn't really affect how he plays on the field. And then number four, quickly for me, is Stephen Gilmore, cornerback from South Carolina. He has a good combination of size, speed. Um, he's not as good of a cover corner as a guy like Jenkins or Claiborne, but he's kind of the total package. He's more of an off-zone corner. He has some things he needs to work on technique-wise, and he's not a very good tackler. He did get beaten a couple times late in the season. The one that will stand out is the bowl game against Elshon Jeffrey when he ran right by him. But other than that, he had a really good season in South Carolina. And the combine, he really separated himself, running a 4-3-8 at, or a 4-4-0 at about 6-1. So he really moved himself up into that first round. And there's even talk that he could go top 15 to a team like the Dallas Cowboys. And rounding out my top five is a guy I'm a lot higher on than a lot of people. And that's um, Jaron Holsley, the cornerback from Virginia Tech. When I see him, he is probably the biggest ball hawk of any corner in this draft. Every time I watch a Virginia Tech game, he was making a play, just either a big interception or knocking down a ball or making a big tackle. And he's somebody I think can play zone and man-to-man coverage, which is tough to find somebody that can do can trust to do both right off the bat. He's a great athlete, ran a sub-4-4, four four, and I think his ball skills and his ability to jump routes 
and versatility, playing you know inside, outside, cornerback position, is something I value very highly. And he could slide in there in that late first round, but I think he will be that first cornerback taken in the second round. Well, so that's the top five of Mike Loiko, and and uh, I, there's a couple things I want to harken back about. For one, is 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 J. Ron Hosley. He's a guy who I've noticed as well. He was actually a guy that I didn't figure would be in your top five. So I was gonna add, I was gonna ask you about him if he wasn't mentioned in there. I've seen him kind of jumping up draft boards. Watched a little tape on him. I thought the same thing that you did. Thought you know this guy is a playmaker, a real ball hawk. Always, always getting involved. It seemed like he was targeted fairly, fairly often. Which I'm not sure what that means at the college level, as far as it, as far as you know, it transposing to what the offensive game plan was against him. But he was constantly getting involved. Uh, as far as Claiborne and the four on the Wonderlick, I've spent the last two days working on this deal uh if you've if you've been to rosterwatch.com if you've been to if you've been to my nfl section on austinchronicle.com you can kind of see some of the folks i've talked to i spoke with senior officials at wonderlink inc uh and also uh one one very uh, notorious professor at the university of georgia who has recently published a brand new study to go after his 2009 study let me go back the 2009 study that he did had 672 players with their Wonderlick scores, and by position he measured productivity as it correlated to Wonderlick score. And with every single position, even quarterbacks, believe it or not, there was absolutely no correlation, nothing statistically significant that positively correlated the Wonderlick score with production on the field, except for two positions. Those two positions were tight end. And defensive back and the crazy thing is those correlations they were related negatively meaning the worse you did if you played in one of those two positions the better off you were in the NFL this is a three-year longitudinal study 672 players the folks at Wonderlick Inc they don't like to talk about this test uh, they, they try and discredit the test by saying the data that they have is false things like this there will be a new test coming out at the uh, PSYOP, um, the, the PSYOP meeting in San Diego in three weeks, where this same group will be showing that the Wonderlick, without a doubt, does one thing, and that is show predisposition to players having off-the-field issues. And so it makes you wonder what it is teams are really using this Wonderlick for. Because I guarantee you, if these industrial psychologists have recognized this trend, these NFL front offices have recognized this trend, and maybe this Wonderlick is not being used for what we think it's being used for. It could possibly be being used for determining who could be a potential problem off the field. As far as Claiborne, I like the kid. I think he's a well-spoken kid. I think he's charismatic. I think he is genial. I think he's charming. He uses great vocabulary, answers questions very well. He has done nothing, as far as I'm concerned, to do anything about the absolutely sickening game tape that we've seen of him. He's completely technical. He can play press and man. He can make quick, quick, short area bursts in the zone game. He breaks on balls. He's a ball hawk. He knows what it's like to have his nose around the ball, and he's not afraid to make the big hit. As far as consensus number one, Byron, I'm sure that you're on board as far as Claiborne. Yeah, I 
Yeah, no, I I, I like Claiborne. I, everything I've seen, he looks he looks like he's ready to walk in day one and be a starter and be a be a good starter. Um, I was curious to ask Mike just in a little bit of a rebuttal to what you said. Is Mike? I know you mentioned you've taken a couple of mock. Wonderlick test. Of course, Mike has. What? <laughs> what did you? I mean, you're a teacher. What do you? Okay, so what right. do you take? So let so 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 let's so let's preface this. Okay, the the Wonderlick has the first Wonderlick was administered in the year 1937. It's been used across a, every industry that you can imagine in the world as far as employers evaluating the problem solving and intelligence skills of their potential new new employees. The average score on the Wonder League is a 20. It's scored on a 50-point scale. It's 50 multiple-choice questions answered during a 12-minute duration. To get a score of 20, they say, equals about an average 100 IQ. And that is the stance of Wonder League. Wonderlick Inc. Mike well, Loiko. Mike, you took it. What did you, you score? What did, what did you score on? What did you score on your Wonderlick? And what did you think? Well, I definitely scored higher than a four. I don't remember my exact score, but it's higher than Morris Claiborne scored. Um, here's a question off one of the Wonderlick tests I did. Assume the first two statements are true. Is the final one true, false, or not certain? A boy plays baseball. All baseball players wear hats. The boy wears a hat. I'm a third grade teacher. If I gave that to my third grade classroom tomorrow for on a test, I'd be fairly certain that 18 out of 21 of the kids could answer that question correctly. Okay, now I know everybody has a learning different way they take tests, and not everybody can test well. And some people need special environments and all that. But these guys have should have been prepared to take the Wonderlid. Every they take it as a junior in college, and they take it again at the NFL Combine. So they should have been, if there was any question in his agent's mind that he was going to score so poorly, and let's make it clear right now, he's not the only person that scored poorly. I'm hearing other guys that are really highly rated have scored just as poorly, maybe even worse. Then they should have been working on him ad nauseum to make sure that he could have improved that at least up until, you know, 10, 12, 15. But I'm not really sure what the – what it shows or what it doesn't show, but it's definitely a concern for me that he's not able to process information as quickly as he needs to be. And, you know, a, a survey out of 672, I'm not really sure what to make of that. Um, you know, I'm sure there's a positive side, negative side to each study that's done, but these questions are not that difficult. He's gone to a pretty decent college, Louisiana State University. You should have been taking courses that are much, much harder than the questions that are on the Wonder League. And you should be able to score at least a 10, you know, unless you're severely, severely learning disabled, which then if you are, that's going to affect your draft status negatively. As a Patriots fan, we've seen somebody like Donald Hayes with the Patriots have signed as a free agent who had a severe learning disability. They signed him as a free agent, and he just could not process the playbook. So they released him. The NFL's a business, okay? And if you can't process the information quickly and decisively, then you're not going to last. If I'm a team and I'm using a top five pick and I'm going to pay a cornerback $25 million to be my still, uh, cornerstone in the defense, then I want to make sure that you're going to be able to handle everything I'm throwing at you. And by scoring a four on the Wonderlick test, it's just a red flag for me. Well, I'm just going to put a wrap on the Wonderlick thing. I mean, two things it tells me is, uh, one, I'm, I think, 
potentially these guys didn't take the test very seriously, maybe, which you can take that as you want. And, um, and Claiborne has a learning disability, and the fact is that their agents, their agents do, their agents do let them know whenever they're possibly do need to be proposed. Here, here's the other thing: is that most, from what I understand, most NFL types, as far as management is concerned, is they flat out just say that they don't even pay much attention to the Wonder League. They actually use other tests that they give players during their personal interviews that they find to be more useful for predicting this type of behavior. Uh, and so they, there's not a whole lot of weight there. So let's just let's move forward to the number two guy, uh, Kirkpatrick. Something I'm, I'm a little... I've, I've watched Michael Huff be misused as a safety for the first part of his career in Oakland. And something I just cannot believe is why everybody keeps saying Kirkpatrick... Should possibly be Free a safety. safety. He shouldn't be drafted that high. Like this guy was from elite competition, elite conference, played against great wide receivers, and has allowed one touchdown since eighth grade. Uh, I don't see what the problem is with being a big physical corner. He's an elite, Mike, rangy Mike, quarterback. Why are, why are people talking? Press corner. Why are people talking like this about Kirkpatrick? You know what, I honestly don't know. I think it's now become kind of uh, cliche in the NFL. There's all these different evaluators and stuff trying to make a name for himself. Every time there's a cornerback that's above six feet tall that maybe doesn't have as fluid of hips as you like, everybody thinks, oh, move them to free safety. But, you know, not every single cornerback has to be a cornerback that has to play zone, turn and run, or deep man-to-man coverage. Sir Patrick's like Alex just said. You can put him in a press system. He's going to play up at the line of scrimmage. And it's not like you can't play off the line of scrimmage. You're just He's a better press corner. And he's going to be able to play physical with any wide receiver in the NFL. He's played cornerback his whole entire life. What's going to say that he can move to free safety and be as effective as he is at corner? It just really doesn't make any sense to me. And a free safety in the NFL right now, I'm looking for my free safety to be almost as athletic as a number one corner. They're going to cover more ground. They're going to be able to play, you know, in the nickel, in the dime, move around, play in the block, out of the block. And I just think it'll be really misusing Drake Kirkpatrick. And I think actually just playing stupid if you move him to free safety. It's just, it's just a chess piece being completely misused. You do not want to put somebody with those cover skills, those ball hawking skills, and, and waste, and waste, Depending on game plan, between one and a half and two downs per every three, you know, per every two to three series, putting him in the box and stacking the box. I don't see. I don't see any reason why you would do it. Well, and as far as the draft is concerned, this raises an interesting question for me. And in, in our roster watch watch list and our um, mock first round, I don't have Kirkpatrick getting past the Cowboys. I noticed earlier, Mike, you mentioned you see Gilmore being. Poss- projected to possibly as high as the Cowboys. So, just I'm curious: Does the Cowboys signing Brandon Carr preclude them at all from taking a, a cornerback in the first round? I think it would limit them a little bit. I think you know the names that we're hearing most with the Cowboys right now. I'm sure you probably read the same things I have. You're hearing um, Mark Barron that they want they need to address the safety position badly. Um, the whole Don Terry Polo things out there that they might like him. Interior um, offensive line. You're right. 
and David Castro. Those are the names you hear with the Cowboys. I think it really all depends who's there when the Cowboys pick. I know the Cowboys are usually one of the most predictable teams to, you know, mock for, but I don't think they take Gilmore at 14. Maybe if Kirk Patrick's there, they take him. But I think if Barron's there, it makes sense, or they if the Castor's there, I think that makes a lot of sense as I, well. I just can't understand taking a taking a safety that high. I could see the I could see the DeCastro, maybe the Poe. Uh, they did, they have paid Ratliff a lot recently, but he's getting older and he didn't dominate last year like usual. I could see. And if you want a more Ratliff player, you might even look start start kind of looking Fletcher Cox territory. Yeah, but I think the Cowboys need maybe need a legitimate uh, nose tackle. But that that's that's interesting. I mean, the one thing we can say was we did speak personally with Rob Ryan at the Senior Bowl, and he told us he was there only scouting defensive backs. Now that was prior to the Brandon Carr signing. So we're not sure whether that needs been fulfilled or not, but that'll be very interesting to keep an eye on. And then I guess uh, moving on to the number three. Well, no, corner. what I want to talk about. I mean, I, I, Mike. Mike gave a pretty thorough rundown of those guys. Give me, Mike. I'm just curious. Uh, a, a gentleman that that um, Mike Mayock was actually really pumped about at the at the combine. That I'd like to get your opinion on is the Montana kid, Tremaine Johnson. Tremaine Johnson. And then I, 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 the other guy I'd like to hear something on is, is about Boyk, uh, Boykins because I like his special teams ability and I, I thought he looked pretty athletic in the film that I've watched. Yeah, I'm really high on both players. Boykins actually my number six cornerback, so right outside the top five. Boykins really impressed in, uh, at the senior bowl too. He's a cornerback that really you just throw him out there in any scheme, any situation he can play. He can move inside to the slot corner can play outside and man and he can play the zone. He's really one step below Janaris Jenkins in terms of cornerbacks of the senior bowl. And combine that with his special teams ability and I think he's a solid second round pick. Now his pro day's coming up on Monday, which is gonna be really interesting to see how fast he actually runs and how how well he's recovered from the broken leg he's up in the senior bowl. And Tremaine Johnson is the one cornerback in this draft that I would actually move to free safety. He's almost six foot two. He runs really, really well. He ran sub four or five at his pro day, I believe. And just everything that I see from him on tape, he's going to be that hybrid free safety cornerback type. I like him moving in between the two positions. He plays a physical brand of football. He can come up and hit people. And his coverage skills are pretty good. But he plays the Division One AA school, so you put all those questions. I don't think Jermaine Johnson gets out of the second round. And if he was a true free safety, I think he'd probably be the best one in this draft. Well, maybe that maybe that's where the Cowboys look, is somebody like that that could maybe either fill the safety or the corner role or be kind of multiple for them, and they could get him in a second-round pick and maybe get one of these other linemen that we've been talking about to kind of you know shore up, shore up the trenches. That's a, that's a, that's an interesting idea. Well, well, one guy who I personally love, and of course we've had the, we've had all the issues about the slow forty time with Leonard Johnson of Iowa State, but I do know that everybody I interviewed at the Senior Bowl, every wide receiver I interviewed at the Combine, who who had faced this guy as an opponent, said without me leading on to the fact 
you know, was Leonard Johnson tough to face? I, I didn't ask a question like that. I asked who the toughest DB you faced in college was. And the overwhelming answer was Leonard Johnson. Uh, the, the second most overwhelming answer was Janoris Jenkins. Uh, surprisingly, wide receivers said about both that they were both real trash talkers, real up-in-your-face physical players, um, the kind of players that kind of try and get, get in your head with a little bit of smack talk. Uh, very, very aggressive. We saw the way he used his hands. We saw the physicality at the Senior Bowl. Mike, it, it, the 40 time, we've talked about it before, is the 40 time that detrimental for a guy like LJ? Do you see him slipping third round, fourth round? Because we do know that we heard Rob Ryan telling his scouts to keep an eye on him. Well, and, and does the 40 time match up to what you see on film? I mean, when you watch film, do you think he can play? Some of these guys, it seems like their 40 time, do, you know, it doesn't translate to the to the field. Do you see that at all with LJ? Well, Leonard Johnson definitely won that. He plays like just 40 time. He's not by any means one of these fast, explosive safeties. Um you know, he ran a 4-5-3 or 4-5-5 at his pro day, which is much better than he did the combine. You know, you got to question these pro day times because they're all on different surfaces and different conditions. So I don't know how much stock you can put into that. It certainly is an improvement. You know, running a low 4-6, a high 4-7 as a cornerback, it's devastating to your stock. On top of that, there's one other major concern, and I really was high on Leonard Johnson at the senior ball. He's definitely one of the most physical corners in the draft and, you know, somebody that can play up in the line and just get get under the skin of another wide receiver. But his arms are under 29 inches long. And for a defensive back, if you're slow and have short arms, then you're not going to be able to catch up to these receivers and, you know, knock down balls at the last minute. You're not going to be able to get a good jam on them. So those are two major, major question marks I have with Leonard Johnson. And, you know, I once thought of him as, you know, a late second or early third round pick. Once I saw that 40 time, you know, for me, I don't like to put too much stock in the pro days and the combines, but for me, it will disqualify somebody from being draftable because a 4-7 at a cornerback, no matter how good that cornerback is, it's just too big of an obstacle to overcome. Now, if he's a 4-5 guy, then he's back in the discussion for the third round. But... He's not going to go in the second round anymore. I think he probably goes in the late third, early fourth at the earliest. Well, Mike, do you think just based on your description, it came to mind, to mind here for me, and tell me if this is on the right track or not, could he be a corner in like a Tampa 2 system where he kind of gets to pass, pass, that, pass that receiver off and kind of also key in on being a little more physical, closer to the line and, and, and run support? He definitely has to play in a system such as that. I'm not sure necessarily a pure Tampa 2. He's going to have to play in some sort of press uh, off press or press zone system where um, he's asked to cover a zone and keep the receivers in front of him. And he's not going to be, basically he's not going to be able to turn and run in man coverage, and he's not going to be able to make up a lot of uh, ground. So you're going to have to play him in a certain position and you know make a position where he can succeed. But the thing with this draft is there's so many cornerbacks. I mean, guys we haven't even talked about. White Bentley, Jamel Fleming, Alfonso Denner, Casey Hayward, Joshua Robinson, Donnie Fletcher, Minifield, Coral Judy, Frader, Brooks, Steve, Norman. There's so many of these guys that play well on the field and test well that it's going to be hard for Leonard Johnson to really, you know, move up ahead of some of these guys. 
Just like all great quarterbacks and all great DBs, it's time for us to turn and run and put this podcast on lockdown. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in tonight. This is the epic rosterwatch.com podcast. My name is Alex Dunlap, as always, here with Byron Lambert. Joined tonight, as we usually are during draft season, with our boy, Mike Loiko, inkypatriotsdraft.com. Whether you're an NFL draft fan, whether you're a fantasy footballer, whether you just like to feel sick about the NFL action and come here to cure every one of your ills, we are happy to have you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is 